Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I spoke to a neuroscientist about the negative effects alcohol has on our brain. So I decided I'm going to take 12 months off and bring you along for the journey. Each week, I'm going to document how it's affected me physically, emotionally, socially, and also financially. Welcome to 28 and Sober. Hello to every single good human out there and welcome to 28 and Sober. This is week number 27. We've gone past the halfway mark and I... I'm feeling pretty bloody good. The last couple of weeks have been incredible for me and alcohol has not been a part of it. I am um, yeah, on this one-year journey into not drinking alcohol. It's been so much fun um, seeing the changes in my life, seeing the changes in my attitude, my health, fitness, mental state. Um, yeah, everything has been super positive since stopping drinking alcohol. This week, um, we've got a special episode, actually. I put out a few weeks ago that I really want to start to share other people's stories because I've had many people say, hey, I'd love to hear from people who have been through Alcoholics Anonymous who have got a bit of a different journey with alcohol to you. So I was like, absolutely, let's get some people on. So this week, we do have a very special guest, Kate Witten, who has shared her story. But first, I thought I'd let you know just about a few of the things I went through this week. I actually was in Byron Bay for... Um, a night with some friends um, out to dinner at Ray's, got to take my beautiful partner out on a nice night and she drank a nice bottle of wine on the rooftop pool that we were so kindly upgraded to, whereas I just drank a few non-alcoholic beers and once again, I'm just enjoying having non-alcoholic versions of stuff. It makes my days so much easier to get through if there would normally be alcohol involved. Um and then as well, the day before that, I went out and had a really nice boat day with uh, my friends Harley Clifford and um, Harry Bink after Harry just won his world title. And then we went out to dinner to uh, to Top Golf with Monster Energy and got to have a really fun um, fun night there. Once again, free drinks, all these fun opportunities to drink. But um, yeah, I ended up taking a pretty chilled approach, drinking gravity non-alk seltzers all day and yeah really enjoyed it but yeah if you're enjoying this podcast and you enjoy my journey make sure you tell a friend about it share it on your instagram stories if you enjoy today's episode with the um amazing kate make sure you tag myself and kate i will leave her instagram in the show notes um her story is so incredible and i love getting to just hear everybody's journeys and how different we all are please hit five stars subscribe all of those fun things it does make a big difference go on the goodhumanfactory.com check out our merch use the code podcast and you get a big 25 percent off so let's jump into yeah our first little guest sharing their incredible story um, with alcohol and how it's affected her life so welcome to good humans podcast kate Witten. how you doing kate good thank you how are you I'm very well, thank you. Thanks so much for jumping on. It's um like I was just telling you off air. It's so awesome to have other people coming on this sober journey with me, and so many people like yourself, um, like yourself, have reached out and really helped me on my journey. And I know your story is gonna probably inspire and help so many others to set themselves free of that kind of 
in a world of not being able to share their own journey because we can get so much out of hearing other people's stories. So thanks so much for jumping on. That's okay. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, it's, you know, I guess it's great to be able to share, you know, my story and listen to, you know, people like yourself, because it's, it really helps, I guess, build confidence to say, oh, I don't have a drink or, you know, I'm not drinking without having to pretend or, you know, or hide away from it or be ashamed of not drinking. Mm, It's so interesting, isn't it? The cultural expectation of drinking, Mm. like it's literally an expectation. Like literally just yesterday I was in Byron Bay having lunch and everyone ordered like Aperol spritz and they're like, have one. I was like, no, I'm not drinking. They're like, come on. It's like, it's like an expectation to drink. Whereas it's like, it's so funny. Like once you stop drinking, you really notice it a lot more. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I, you know, I'm doing, I guess a lot of like a lot of my recovery work at the moment. And one that I'm realizing is even, you know, three years ago when I was really early in recovery, like how much reservations I had around alcohol and, you know, that I would pretend I was drinking by drinking like just a soda and lime in, you know, the short glasses, not the tall glasses, like try to look like everybody else and, you know, try to, I guess, hide what I was doing um, just, you know, and then it felt like I was stuck back in my addiction again. Yeah. Isn't it so interesting? We like are embarrassed to admit that we're taking our health and our life into our own hands. It's, it's so backwards. It's so backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but let, let's rewind a little bit into your story. So, I mean, if you're willing to share sort of yeah. what age bracket you're in, because I think people by knowing that will, it'll tell your story a bit more, but what's been your relationship like with alcohol since I guess, you know, teen years and moving through your twenties, what, um, yeah, your relationship has been like with alcohol. Yeah. Well, I'm 37 at the moment and I got, um, clean and sober at 34. So been in recovery now for three years, um, or just over, um, I first started drinking when I was around 16, which, you know, is quite typical. Um, you know, the, I guess all the, the high school years, you know, you, um, you drink at people's houses, my house ended up being, you know, the one that people drank at. We had, um, you know, a double block, I, like my family's in the country. Um, we had a, you know, a pool and a spa and it was like just the perfect location, you know, to have house parties and everything. So, yeah, I guess um, I started drinking around then, but one, I guess what I'm noticing, uh, what I'm noticing now and how I felt was that I was always so insecure and not confident in myself. And I would, you know, I was a massive people pleaser. So um, when I had a drink, it made me more confident. It made me more outgoing and it made me, you know, essentially feel like I was on top of the world. And, you know, it was just hiding away all of these insecurities that I had about myself. Mm. Um, and I guess like I noticed through my 20s is um you know I'll do a lot of uni binge drinking and you know I guess I went through all those typical stages that you know everyone does you know in high school and uni um and I was in a couple of relationships during that time and you know the the later relationship in my late 20s you know it was quite toxic like um you know, I, I guess I had all of these insecurities and all of these, you know, self, um, self doubts about myself. And I guess I didn't really believe in myself that that relationship sort of enhanced all of that. It made me feel not good enough. He was a, he was a big drinker as well. And so it sort of made it okay. Um, And I just, I guess I always found that, you know, when I would start drinking, I just wouldn't stop. Mm. And, 
it it was sort of like that um that ego thing of like um you know see how hardcore I can be or you know look how hard I can go or I can keep up with you and and all of that stuff I guess I was just always um you know it made me feel separate from the insecure person that I was Mm. um and then I just started to rely on it and um you know another major part of my addiction was painkillers um and so mixing the two of them together um you know isn't a good thing um and you know made me really really sick in my um when I got to about 30 and um at that point I just couldn't stop like I it's like when I didn't have um the pills or a drink in my system I it just I didn't feel normal so I needed like that to get back to normality well, wow, such a it must have been such a difficult time through always waking up. All right, how do I escape this feeling that I wake up with? Yeah, to try and bring myself back to what was your new normal. It's um, it, it's crazy how, and I'm sure going through recovery, how many other stories you've heard of people that are quite similar to you. And I'm sure at the time you felt so alone that like, yeah, this is just me. But it's it's wild how dependent so many of so many people do become on things like alcohol things like painkillers when did you first build that self-awareness of like wait a second I know I need to stop doing this or was it was it there throughout but you just couldn't find the courage to maybe go like you know what maybe I need to make some changes it was sort of like under the surface like throughout like I knew you know this isn't right, but I just wasn't ready to admit it. Like mm-hmm. I would always look at other people and say, well, you're worse than me. Yeah. So I can't be that bad. But then I, you know, ended up in hospital in 2015. Um, I was extremely malnourished. Um, you know, I'd lost a lot of weight. And um, because, um, you know, mixing painkillers and alcohol together, you know, created stomach ulcers in my stomach. So I would keep getting those over and over again. And, um, you know, from 2015 to 2019, I was in hospital all the time, um, just on and off. And um, there was a, you know, a scary episode in 2017 where uh, my stomach ulcer had actually burst. Um, and like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was happening. I just felt a sore stomach, which I'd been feeling for years. So I kind of just brushed it off and um, ended up in hospital and um, then in emergency surgery where you know they had to operate so that they could fix my stomach lining and and everything it was it was really scary but um, you know and I started to see a counselor after that a drug and alcohol counselor um, but I just I still wasn't ready to stop mm. it was it was sort of like that I know what I can, like, I know how to control this, you know, oh, I took too much this time, you know, maybe I can skip a day or maybe I could do this. Like my head was just coming up with all these ways for me to keep doing what I was doing um, in a, you know, in a manageable way. And Mm. um, I was put on an antidepressant that made me gain weight. Um, And so on the outside, I started to look okay. And um, for a year, I guess I was maintaining that look. Um, and probably about halfway through 2018, I started drinking again because, you know, it's like I was convincing my family that I was okay. Um, Mm -hmm. because at this point I was back in Gippsland. I, um, you know, I was living at my mom's house and, you know, I just started to convince people I was okay. And then, yeah, in the um, first half of 2019, I clearly wasn't when I was back in hospital three times and the, I guess, 
the catalyst of it was me being in hospital on Mother's Day and my mum had to come again, you know, for I think it was the eighth time to the emergency room with me and, you know, wait for me to be admitted. And, um, yeah, and it, it was then that she just said, we can't help you anymore. You know, we've done what we can um and you know you need to you need to go to rehab or there's just nothing that we can do for you yeah um, wow. it must have been so hard when when you say I'm just trying to like not wrap my head around this but yeah. were you like drinking every single day it was like yeah. wake up look have a drink in the morning or was it kind of like painkillers until we got to lunchtime then just have some sort of drinks for the afternoon to numb and escape that reality Oh, it was a bit of both, I guess. Um, for me, you know, I was probably quite calculating and manipulative. Like I would just look at, you know, after like my mom had left for work or, um, you know, after work or, you know, sometimes beforehand, like I would, you know, take the painkillers to take the edge off. And it was just um, like nothing was ever the same, like, you know, the, I guess, time frame, but it was just, it was every single day. And if I was missing a day like I told myself I'll miss a day like I was feeling like like I was shaking like I was just my head was in obsession about um you know where like when am I gonna you know use or have a drink again like when am I gonna do this and it was just going over and over again and yeah how was it for um like holding a job and um financially and stuff through this period did you like have work was it um, yeah, because I can imagine like holding a job relationship and all the normality things in life become second nature when the addiction's that strong. Yeah, so I had had a job um, for about nine years from um, when I left uni and then um, I finished up there in uh, 2016 and that was because I was falling asleep at work. I was... Um, you know, not really present. Like I, I, and then I was in hospital in 2015 and had to take a better six month break anyway off work. And so I ended up, um, you know, being recommended to leave that, that job because not essentially firing me, but it would be, you know, best if like, you know, again, it, it's like that thing of like, there's not really much more they could do for me. They, they were sitting down with me about, you know, getting me checked out medically and, and all of that stuff. But, um, you know, essentially they just, they had to let me go. And when I moved back to Gippsland, back to mall um, with my mum, I held, um, you know, just um, some hospitality jobs, which probably wasn't the best thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when I, then I would be, you know, sick again, but then I'd go back to those. And, and so it was just like, I never in like the later stages of my addiction, I just never held down a proper stable job. Wow. must've been such an incredibly tough time. So after making with that day on mother's day, what changed for you? And what was that next process? Because I'm sure there's probably people listening who might be in a bit of denial that they are drinking more than they need to. They might need a bit of help what was that process like going into rehab for you and putting your hand up and how um, how was that next chapter for you? Yeah, so I just had to make that phone call. Um, like um, my mum's partner, he knew of a place that, um, that I could go to because um, I was, at that point, I was on Centrelink payments, like Centrelink sick payments, and, um, you know, I didn't have insurance. And so... Um, this place that I went to, like they, um, you know, they just took money out of your Centrelink pay, fortnightly pay. And um, so, you know, he recommended me, you know, just give them a call. So I ended up calling them and it was about a six week wait to get in. 
Um, but what I had to do was just call them every, every single week. And that was it just to check in until I got there. Um, and, you know, I guess the good thing about it is that the person that I spoke to had 17 years sober up and, you know, she was really kind. She understood what I was going through. You know, she didn't tell me just to stop completely. She said, you know, um, just, you know, call, like call us or call, there's a direct line that you can call, you know, if you're struggling, you know, you'll talk to people that actually understand what you're going through. Cause I guess what I, as much as my family loved me, you know, I would always feel like I wasn't enough or that I was disappointing them. Um, and they just didn't understand like why I guess I couldn't stop. And, um, yeah, so I had to wait the six weeks and then I was, um, you know, again in the rehab for six weeks as well. Um, so, you know, that was, you know, with completely, absolutely nothing in my system. Um, and I, I was around like 15 other people that, you know, felt exactly the same way that I did. Um, and I started to hear like my story in there. It's like, even if there were different experiences, like, and I guess that's where, why I kept going with 12 step fellowship after that is because I guess the way that everybody was feeling was the same way that I was feeling, you know, that, um, I guess, you know, you'd had enough, you knew that your life was unmanageable. You knew that like something had to change, but you didn't know what. And, um, I guess, like then I just, I guess I started to see other people, you know, um, being able to live better lives after an addiction. And I, I guess I never knew that possibility. I thought, well, I'd failed at my life. So what's the point? Mm. Um, and yeah, so I started to get back a little bit of hope. Yeah. It must've been so freeing. Just, I love the quote, like a problem shared is a problem halved. And once you yeah. kind of build a community around you to help you through a problem, it makes must have felt like the biggest weight off your shoulders to be like, okay, there's people who understand me. And I like the point where you touched on your family didn't quite understand because for them, it's as simple as, well, just don't drink. Yeah. But obviously for the situation you're going through, it's a completely whole new world in your head compared to what they can even build an understanding of. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess like a beautiful thing that's just happened recently because um, I celebrated my three-year milestone um, at a meeting um, and my mum and my sister came with me to it. So they had dinner with my friends and they came to the meeting with me and, you know, saw me celebrate and, um, you know, heard me share and then heard all these other people share about their, you know, their addictions and, um, you know, my sister who like when I was six months, um, six months clean, she said to me, you know, how long do you have to keep going to those meetings for? And like, she just didn't understand. And then um, after going to, you know, that three year milestone meeting with me, um, she just turned around to me and says, I get it. Like mm. I understand why you, why you kept going. How nice did that feel to have your sister and people around you at that meeting to, for them to understand and her to say that to you? Yeah, like that was that was incredible. Like I really appreciated that. And, you know, I guess, you know, I've been lucky that my family, as soon as like I, I started to get well and I started to get my life back together, you know, they started to trust me again. Mm. And yeah, it's been, you know, a really, really beautiful experience. Yeah, I think it's so important for people listening to understand that it does start with you needing to want to help yourself first. Yeah. And like you said, it took you years to build up that courage. But once you do, it, it's so hard. Like you said, your family had been to see you for years in hospital and it was until you 
made that decision, that change really began to happen. So what's been the 12 step process? Um, what's like what from first going in, what was, um, that six weeks? Like what I'm just like trying to think like, if someone's like, you know what, I've got the courage now from hearing your story, I'm going to do it. What would they have? Um, what, what experience are they about to go on from your like sort of elevator pitch of what it's and what it's like it's so scary I can imagine it was so scary for you oh it was terrifying for me like I I went to my first um first meeting you know when I was in rehab um so I was you know surrounded by other people that you know I'd been familiar with but like I just remember thinking like what is what is this place and I had no idea what was going on um I would hear other people share but a lot of the time like I was stuck inside my own head about what I would say and I was still in that you know I want everybody to like me you know what would I say to make all these you know make me be a part of this or make other people like me and it I would just get so nervous to share every time I was called on for five weeks I just kept saying no and um it was just again, trying to find that courage to like actually share. And I remember the first time that I did, and it was, you know, the Friday before I was graduating the rehab. And um, I thought if I don't do this now, I'm never going to. Um, And so I um, put myself in a position to be the first person to be asked to share. So I wouldn't spend the whole time thinking about what I was going to say. And, um, you know, I felt a lot of relief after that. And then people came up to me and started to, you know, relate to what I'd said and told me well done. And, you know, um, yeah, I guess like, I just, I don't know, I, I found that courage to be able to, to be able to speak openly and without, um, you know, I guess without wanting other people to like me because of it, because everyone just knows that my, uh, I guess knows my honest truth as well, because it's theirs and, you know, they've been through those experiences too. And yeah, after that, I, um, I kept going to the fellowship in Melbourne. I would just, um, you know, st- I just would walk up to a meeting, not knowing anybody and just sit in there and just listen and, you know, try to, you know, make myself be a part of part of this, because mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things um, that has worked for me is that connection. You know, I was so isolated in my addiction. I, you know, I didn't take care of myself. I, you know, stayed at home alone. I didn't go get into any relationships in the later part of my addiction because I just felt like I wasn't worth enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, once I started to feel that connection and, you know, you get a lot of that in the 12-step fellowship is that connection. And, um, yeah, so that that has been major for me. And oh I guess I, yeah. Thank you so much. For, it just sounds like that truth just sets you free and that fear of, um judgment from others once you drop that you realize like everyone's got the same fear of their own story and like you touched on at the start you probably feel like oh i'm not as bad as this person like oh i don't have it as bad as this person it's like there's no parallels nobody's life's the same nobody goes through the same story so it's so it's so baffling how much we try and relate to everybody when we're all so different anyway there's no one the same and it's like you think, oh, my story is not as bad as theirs, but you don't realize by sharing yours the impact it can have on somebody else because we all have a um a different perspective and interpretation. Anyway, you could be sitting next to five people, share your story, and they all interpret it differently. Anyway, yeah. so like once you can uh-huh. just be truthful, it's like you can be set so free. And it sounds like that's what happened with you. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, I guess a like an incredible thing happened, you know, a couple of months ago is that, or about a month ago, I was um, sharing at a meeting and, um, you know, I, like it was a hybrid meeting. So we, since COVID, we've done a lot of Zoom meetings as well. Um, we all had to adapt to, you know, keeping that connection throughout, um, throughout all the lockdown. So, you know, we introduced Zoom for all of the meetings um, because we couldn't meet in person. And some meetings now, you know, still use that. You know, we, um, one of, um, of the bigger meetings in Melbourne, we have got, um, you know, a TV screen so that the Zoom people can, you know, um, can tune in and listen and, you know, they can be from anywhere. And um, this this girl heard me share and um, she lives in Taralgon, which is a town, you know, next door to where I grew up. And so I was sharing about my experiences growing up here and um, I guess then my experiences with addiction and she could relate to me and ended up reaching out to somebody to get my phone number and, you know, she's asked me to be her sponsor and, you know, I got to meet with her yesterday because I'm in town and, yeah, and get I guess get her started on her journey. Uh, isn't it so powerful? Uh, it gives me goosebumps, like that, like you said, connection. And then as well, like you're 800% more likely to maintain a habit or a skill or, you know what I mean, a, not a non, not a skill, but like not drinking mm. if you have that accountability of a group around you or a direct person around you. So yeah. it's, it's obviously been such a help for you, that community and building. Um, I guess the last question I kind of want to finish on is how's life now for you? What's um how's everyday life for you? What's um what's been happening? You got a solid job now, you seem so much happier and just you can see your presence is like it's like you can take a deep breath now. It's like you're in yeah. control. <laughs> yeah. So my life now, like I would not have expected my life today than, you know, when I was first, you know, stepping foot into the rehab. Like I just I seriously thought that when I put down um, you know, the the pills and the alcohol that um nothing would change all i would be doing is taking away the substances um but yeah i guess i i rebuilt my life at 34 and that's you know an amazing thing so i've got a, a stable job now i'm actually back at the company that i um you know i left in 2016 they amazing. um my old manager saw me on facebook actually three years ago and um reached out to me because she knew me when i was sick and um, she saw me looking well and my old role had come up. So um, she rang, reached out like when I was, you know, a month out of rehab. And so, you know, I'm still there three years later. Like I went from part-time to full-time now. And yeah, I've been um, studying recently. I've just done digital marketing. So learning, you know, all the Google Analytics and Facebook and Definitely. all of that sort of stuff. So, you know, I, I found a... I, I've got a real love for numbers and data and analytics. So, um, you know, I'm, yeah, looking at, at all of that and looking for new opportunities there, which, because I work in a media advertising company that, you know, the opportunities are there. And so I, I see them now. Like I, I don't limit myself anymore. I, I look and see, you know, what's ahead of me. What can I, what can I do in my role now, you know, that, um, that can make it better. And, I guess, you know, in life in general, I found a love for fitness. Um, you know, I absolutely love doing my strength training. And okay. yeah, it's, um, I was quite happy yesterday. I did a 50 kilo bench press. And well so, done. yeah, very, very happy with that. Um, and so I find just like little different goals that, you know, just, just make me happy. And, um, you know, I guess like 
one of also like one of the biggest things is like just finding a bit more of an inner peace and being not afraid of my emotions and suppressing them anymore. Um, the last month has actually been quite emotional because I'm redoing my um, my recovery step work again. And so I'm sitting on step four, which if um, people don't know, it is, you know, doing an inventory on, you know, on yourself. And there's a lot of journaling involved and it's just looking at all the different aspects of your life and your resentments, your fears, um, you know, your feelings and relationships and, you know, I guess becoming more aware of, of yourself. And yeah, it's brought up a lot. Um, it's brought up a lot of emotions and feelings and it can be uncomfortable, but it's, um, it's quite freeing actually, you know, No, it's so important. There's so many people who I feel like are just going through life. And it sounds like that's what you were doing in your late 20s. Like you were just like letting life dictate. Whereas now it's like, all right, I'm building the self-awareness. I'm taking an inventory of my life. I'm looking at the things that are good, the things that are bad, and actually making dedicated actions to grow through life rather than just go through life now. And so many people are just coasting, letting life circumstances dictate their future Whereas once you do take that back, that control, not be scared of your emotions, not be scared of your thoughts and build a relationship with them. We can actually, yeah, really start to grow through life. And it's so cool to see like the path that you're on now. And obviously this rebirth basically of Kate, who's now on this path of, all right, what next? I'm not finishing work, looking to go home and have a drink. I'm like, all right, I can go home and educate myself a little bit more here. I can go to the gym and build myself. It's like you're flourishing as a person. And that's why I feel like most people, should be doing where majority of us aren't so it's so yeah. beautiful to hear your story and I'm, I'm so grateful for you sharing it because i know so many listeners of this podcast will be super grateful of you sharing and yeah excited to see where the future goes for you thank you thank you so much for having me on it's great um no it's fair. you you share your story very well as well people become very scared i'm sure this is probably maybe your first podcast you've been on been on yeah. a podcast before or yeah, yeah, I was on uh, Danny's podcast. Oh, you were saying that you were on yeah. Danny's. Oh, yeah. yeah, um, you did say that. So that's how um Kate knows me was from Danny Kennedy, who's been a previous guest on Good Humans, incredible fitness coach who's been helping you on your journey too. Yeah, um, I need to go and listen to it. I said I was going to, but I forgot yeah. to. I will, <laughs> right. I will. I will go on and listen to that. I'll leave it in the show notes as well for um everyone if they want to go check out your episode with Danny because I'm sure it's a banger um but yeah thank you so much for jumping on sharing your story you've been my first 28 and sober guest who has shared their story and um yeah it's been so cool because we all have a different journey I feel sometimes like mine's not worthy of sharing but I just feel like we all have someone we can relate to and I know so many would have related to your story today and hopefully um yeah make some positive choices and know that there is people out there going through similar stuff and that changes can be made to yeah, improve our quality of life. So thanks so much for sharing. No worries. Thank you. And thank you for sharing, continuing to share your story as well. I mean, mine's just me doing my little thing, but I'm enjoying it. It's been, it's been great knowing that whether it be alcohol addiction or just at the end of the day, if you're having more than seven drinks a week, that's considered excessive drinking. So the fun, the sad thing is I reckon majority of people are like, if it was anything like me, I reckon like at least 50% of people are drinking more than seven drinks a week, which um, is baffling. So it's um, yeah. Great to show that there is other ways to live and we can yeah take a different path. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for jumping on. 
No worries. Thank you. All right. That was Kate Witten. What an absolute legend she is. I'm so, so grateful that I got to share her story. She's been on what like such a great journey. I feel like so many of you might be able to relate to her or at least gather some inspiration onto how freeing it is asking for help and yeah, realizing that there is so many people out there who are willing to help if we are willing to put our hand up and ask for that help. So big thanks to Kate for jumping on. Thanks to everyone else who tunes into my podcast every week. You're all bloody legends. I love you all. Bunch of good humans. Um, I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm.